It was the first Lent of my time being here as priest in charge at All Saints Church, and I was still adjusting to things being a little bit different than the way I remembered them in my former church. I was told it was the tradition here that the church during the penitential season of Lent reads the Ten Commandments out of the Book of Common Prayer at the beginning of each service. It's a part of something called the Litany of Penitence. The very first Sunday, the congregation knelt solemnly as we read the Ten Commandments and read our responses to them as well. We got through the first commandment, the second commandment, and we got finally to the eighth commandment. And I didn't see any more commandments on the page of the Book of Common Prayer. I thought to myself, well, Maybe something has changed, like theologians just decided that there are only eight of them anymore. Maybe you know that there used to be nine planets, but astrologers decided that Pluto was no longer a planet, and so now there are just eight. I thought maybe something similar had happened. Or I thought maybe in their wisdom, the framers of the Book of Common Prayer had compressed the commandments so that there were only eight for us to read. And so we finished the eight holy commandments brought down from Moses, and we moved on with the rest of the service. The next Sunday, as we did this again, I wondered at how little I knew from my training in seminary, this new phenomenon of there being only eight commandments. And it was on the third Sunday that it was around commandment four that I decided to look a little bit further in the Book of Common Prayer And it was then that I flipped the page and found that, indeed, there were two more commandments. They're just on the back side. We as Episcopalians and as Christians, more importantly, have an ambivalent relationship with the Ten Commandments. Of course, they are incredibly important to Jews and to Christians. It's made obvious right here in Exodus chapter 20, what an incredible spiritual moment this must have been when Moses brought these words from God down to the people of Israel. And of course, they reverberate throughout the ages. But how do we read these commandments as followers of Christ? On the other hand, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And therefore, our relationship to these commandments has changed. We are made perfect through Jesus, not through our following of the commandments. So what do we do with them? Well, if you're like me, you probably hear the commandments as something that is like a punitive voice. A voice from a stern father. You better do this, and you better do that. And here's the list of ten things. But I think there's a different way to hear the commandments that integrates them into our full lives as spiritual beings and as Christians. And that is one of thinking of the commandments as part of our reaction to trying to make this world a better place, perhaps even to perfect it in the image of God. If you think of your reaction to these commandments as part of making the world more like the way God wants it to be, then they are a gracious reaction to what you see. 
a guidepost to how to make the world a better place, and a compass for your faith. No longer are they some sort of to-do list or not-to-do list, but rather a profound spiritual resource that can guide and animate us and draw us ever more closely to the heart of God. Let's make no mistake about it, even though these Ten Commandments are thousands of years old, they still loom large here in the United States in our present-day culture. You might have seen that in the state of Texas, the legislature is considering a bill to make it law that the Ten Commandments should be displayed in every single public school classroom. Can you imagine that? So important. If you don't know it, this fetishization of the Ten Commandments isn't particularly old in the U.S. You probably remember the culture wars that were happening when people were protesting the removal of the Ten Commandments based on a Supreme Court decision a couple years back. But the way that the public display of the Ten Commandments came about in this country has a far more secular story than you might know. They were actually a part of the PR campaign for Cecil B. DeMille's classic 1956 film, The Ten Commandments. The movie studio decided it would be a good idea to promote the film by displaying the Ten Commandments in public places around the country and worked in partnership with churches, especially in the American South, to do this. Well, here we are, almost 60 years later, and we are still promoting that great film. And then there's the question of why of all of the religious things and symbols that come from the Bible, why fetishize these Ten Commandments over everything else? Why would the Texas legislature not choose, for instance, to put up Jesus' great commandment? You should love the Lord your God with all of your soul and with all of your might and love your neighbor as yourself. And importantly, On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Indeed, it is the great commandment that we as followers of Jesus say supersedes the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. It is this command to love deeply, to love radically, that makes those Ten Commandments make sense. And I wonder sometimes what people who are so intent on publicizing these Ten Commandments think about the commandments themselves. The fourth commandment tells us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, to work for six days and rest on the seventh. But for thousands of years, that seventh day has been interpreted solely by our brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith as Saturday. And I don't see people who take these commandments seriously resting on Saturdays every single week. And then what about the 10th commandment, the commandment not to covet? Well, it's probably easy in the U.S. in the year 2023 not to covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. I find that pretty easy to fulfill that commandment myself. But what if we took seriously the commandment not to covet anything that our neighbor has? Not to look at the things that the people next to us have 
and decide that because they have something, we are lacking something else. Truly, if we fulfill this commandment, then each and every person in this society would have exactly the same amount of things. Then, of course, you can go down the list and look at all of the commandments and think about the way that we as a society responds to them. The sixth commandment says you shall not murder. Indeed, you shouldn't. Does that mean we shouldn't wage wars? Does that mean that we shouldn't execute people, murdering them in the name of the state as retribution for the crimes that they have done? As you can see, our relationship with the Ten Commandments is complicated indeed. And it's almost impossible to read the Gospel of Jesus Christ and not read these commandments critically. In fact, if you listen to what Jesus says about them, it seems that he himself has an ambivalent relationship with them, which is probably why we feel the same way. Of course, he gives us the great commandment and tells us that these Ten Commandments hang on the two, which he boils down to a law of love. But when you listen to the commandments that he himself gives us, they are consistently so outrageous that they are impossible ever to fulfill. Turn the other cheek. Forgive him who offends you not seven times, but 77 times. Give away everything that you have, or sell it and give the proceeds to the poor. There's almost no way that any human being, over the course of their life, could ever possibly fulfill every one of the commandments that Jesus gives to us. It's almost as if he is mocking the idea of commandments themselves. Well, given this gospel context, it makes sense that Paul and Christian theologians who have come after him for centuries have tried to reshape and recontextualize these commandments into a different frame of thinking. For them, and for us, Christianity at its heart is not a religion of rules. It might be easier to say that you're a Christian if you do X, Y, and Z and go all the way down the list. But that's not at all what Jesus says. For Jesus, being a follower of his, means a radical transformation of the heart that happens not just once, but over the course of your entire life. We are continually converted to God and to God's love. We are continually converted to seeing Christ in our neighbors. We are continually rededicated to making this world a place that looks more like the place that God wants it to be. That's something far more profound and even difficult than following a list of do's and don'ts. For a little bit of context and guidance on how to understand these Ten Commandments for us, I think it's useful to turn to the Jewish ideal of tikkun olam. Perhaps it's something that you've heard of. Tikkun olam means the repair or the perfection of the world. It was first coined by the great medieval theologian Maimonides, 
Maimonides said that there were three pillars of Jewish life. The first was the study of Torah, or the Holy Scripture. The second is acts of kindness. And the third is fulfilling the commandments. Think for a moment about what that would mean to view filling the commandments as a part of this three-legged stool of learning about God and God's word, about acting with kindness and generousness in the world. It's only then that you can understand what the commandments actually mean or why you're trying to fulfill them at all. And just as a note for Maimonides, as for all observant Jews, there are not 10 commandments. There are 613. That's far too much to fit on two stone tablets. This idea of tikkun olam, or the repair and perfection of the world, is something that's very popular in Jewish communities, and there's a reason why. It's also a parallel to our own understanding as Christians of what our place in the world is, too. And after all, isn't that how you want to spend your life? Loving God, loving your neighbor, repairing this broken world? That sounds like such a more fulfilling pursuit than just trying to tick off all the boxes on the list. I was planning to preach and talk about this idea of tikkun olam with respect to the Ten Commandments this week, not only because it is the reading that is assigned for this Sunday, but also because it corresponds to the Jewish High Holy Days, this holy time of year for our friends. We've already had Rosh Hashanah, or the beginning of the new year, Purim, Simchat Torah was this weekend, the completion of the reading of the Torah every year, and we look forward to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It all seemed to make sense. But of course, I'm sure you've seen the news of what has happened in the Holy Land just this past day. Almost 500 people dead. A cycle of violence and retribution that has gone on for generations. Good people trapped in an eternal battle. An intractable cycle of violence and hatred. If nothing else, what's happening in the Holy Land today teaches us that the world is very much in need of repair and that we are so far from the model of perfection that God sees for us, that God needs us to dedicate our lives to repair and perfection. And if that speaks to you at all, then these Ten Commandments matter to each and every one of us. So for me, the rule of thumb when it comes to addressing rules or commandments that are given down is this. Does my following of this rule help repair the world? If I do these things that God tells me to do, will it make the world a better place? I think the answer to each of these Ten Commandments is yes. We can accept them on their face because they come from God. But even if we stand back critically, 
we can still look and see how, if one were to follow each and every one of these Ten Commandments, the world indeed would be a better place. At the very least, were we to follow the Sixth Commandment, there would be about 500 people who are still alive in the Holy Land today. So my friends, follow God's commandments, not just because they're in the Bible, but because you care about the world, because you want your actions to matter, because you want what you do to have a positive impact in the world. And if we do this individually, and together as the people of God, then indeed, the world will be repaired. Perhaps not in our own time. Perhaps not even in 2,000 years. But eventually, we will get there. Amen.